I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And I'm being joined by uh, the super happy, fantabulistic Aden Arden. How are you, my man? I'm doing good, buddy. What's up, Stuffy? Super fucking stuffy crazy. I can't ever tell if it's allergies or if I have a cold. Like, they're the same to me. You're always sick. How in the hell are you always sick? It has to be allergies. Like, it just has to be. But I don't know. Have two kids and you you tell me. No. <laughs> no. Have two kids. Damn it. All right. All right. <laughs> Do I have to like them though? All right. It is March 23rd and we have a fantastic show for you this week. Actually, this is it's an amazing day. How, how's the weather out there? Uh, well, yesterday was better. It's um it's like a fall, like a late fall day here right now, like um, low 50s. Well, but yesterday yeah. it was sixty something. I was walking around in a linen suit. It was great. Wait, you were walking around in a linen suit? Well, okay, linen pants and a linen shirt, but you, you know what I mean. Oh, all, right. all right. It is incredibly beautiful out today, and it was warm. I, I actually got my ass out and I started mowing the fucking lawn. Like I, I just I went in my backyard just to sort of look at the grass and look at the sky and and really you know take in the heat. I was like, wow, you know what? I, I must mow this lawn like right now. Like <laughs> I need this. I need this mow. And it was fucking awesome. It's sort of like my, you know, alone time away from the rest of the family. I get to focus and just think and, you know, sort of take in the air and stuff, which might be why I'm so goddamn stuffy right now. But, that's, that's what you get for abandoning your family for an hour, Adam. Yeah. You get sick. <laughs> it was amazing though. I have a pretty big yard, so it takes a little bit longer than that. But, you know, to the point that, I get to actually like feel the, the, the wind in my hair and not worry about getting sunburnt because it's not that hot yet, but it's still nice enough that you just want to stay out there and have your toes in the nice soft green grass. and It's just a gorgeous fucking day. We, uh, I think it was yesterday, we, we picked up these chickens, these little chicks from the local IFA. So we're going to be doing chicks this year to uh, you know obviously consume their eggs, consume their unfertilized eggs. You're going to do some chicks this year. <laughs> Keep fucking that chicken. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. We're, we're really excited. Right now, of course, they're just these cute little worthless fucking chicks, but eventually they'll grow up and be worthwhile. Well, Easter's coming. I'd say those chicks are going to be quite useful. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, I, I mean, there's been a lot of really good stuff that's happened this last week, and it's just to sort of like push through all of it. I made a new wine which I'm really excited to consume this fall. Um, we that I'd been telling you guys all about that uh, speech that I was going to be delivering on uh, online social branding with uh, Storm over at their ca- Chamber of Commerce. That went off really well, though <laughs> everyone was like glossy-eyed, like they had no fucking idea what I was talking about. And I, I dumbed it down for the audience, and it was still too technical. <laughs> so It's Utah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just like I expected. I don't know. Magna is where they go to film old western stuff. 
Like if they want to look like they're back in 1940s, so not old Western, but just old America, mm-hmm. um, that's where they go. And so the type of person that is drawn to Magna is that type of person, you know, just sort of slow, old timey. They don't want to be rushed to think or to do anything. And so, you know, everything that my, my city speech came out at them way too fast. <laughs> it was wild. I saw like old people in the audience. I'm like, there's no fucking way they even know what a computer is. Like, why am I talking to them about social branding? <laughs> like, it was just horrible. But for the younger people that were there, they seemed to enjoy it. At least they placated me afterward with the, uh, you know, one-on-ones. But, um, yeah, that went really well, and I actually got a couple follow-ups from it. So hopefully that turns out to be a profitable venture as well. So, I again, thank you, Storm, for setting that thing up. Um, the bathroom remodel that was going on last week where I had to fucking sponge bath every goddamn day last week finally... Uh, was finished. I mean, we, we stopped to paint, but other than that, it's completely retiled and floor, re- new base floor and everything. I mean, it's it's amazing now. It looks so yeah. good. I just want to go play in my bathroom all the time. It's incredibly <laughs> gay. <laughs> I sponge bath all week. <laughs> I say sponge bath, but in reality, it was like, like I do in camping. I just get baby wipes and I just go like use a packet of baby wipes to get everything <laughs> taken care of. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I do, I, there's no toilet paper in my house. The women get really mad. I'm like, hey, you shouldn't be here to begin with. So <laughs> You can wash your vagina with baby wipes too. <laughs> you did it when you were a little one. That's right. And they're, they're far cleaner. I'm helping, I'm helping straight men by giving women um, baby wipes. This is, I'm very charitable. Hell yeah. You know what? <laughs> that That's actually a, uh, PSA here for everyone. Baby wipes. They clean your pussy too. <laughs> do, 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 do. The more you know, people, the more you know. All right, my, I can tell my nose is clearing because it's all draining all over my fucking face. Oh, this is terrible. All right, so how about we – oh, you know what? Before we jump dive into this show, I, I wanted to mention this. I got two of the Get to Know the uh, videos out. So uh, the first one was with me. The second one was with Darren Deicide. Those are available on the YouTube channel or the website, go check those out. Uh, the next one, which is Aden, and um, the one after that is going to be uh, Jesse from My Dream of Jesse. Those are going to be out this, uh, well, okay, probably in, in the next three weeks, those two will be out, and then the last one with Aaron will be out uh, probably in a month or a little over that. So uh, keep your eyes peeled, people, because these were a lot of fun to record, and the audience was really great, and the questions were completely fucking weird. So it should be entertaining for you to go back and watch over and over again. And you get to see our ugly mugs. So, well, my ugly mug and everyone else's beautiful face. (laughs) That's that's right. That's a lot more accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I have feelings too, man. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the show here since we've already bullshitted enough, I suppose. In Nine Cents Letters. Okay, so I'm going to do a Nine Cents Letters, but it's not going to be really the, the normal version of it. So... I've been getting a lot of correspondence with you guys, and I truly do appreciate that. And some of the correspondence is sort of feedback on what they thought of the show, and that sort of you know ebbs and flows. I, sometimes I get people that like to give me like a play-by-play of their opinion of every moment of the last show, <laughs> which is really weird. Like, come on, guys, you got to have more time, more things to do in your life than this. But I get like a play-by-play of their opinion, which is awesome. You know, I don't mind it. Um, 
And then I get people that are like, hey, you should try talking to this. I would love to hear you talk about this. And these are the ones that I really, really love. Because obviously this podcast is based around the audience, you listening. And I love to uh, hear what you would like me to speak to. So that is what this Nine Cents Letters is. Um, a bit of a refresher, I suppose it's going to be. It's the preface of the Satanic Bible. Strange, but... I think interesting, and it was requested, uh, or yeah, requested by, and this is very specific, 18th key uh, notes from the underground, so whatever that means, <laughs> I said it, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm sure we'll know soon, Adam. <laughs> yeah, no, the world will end, it will all be made clear. In the Infernal Informant, New York High School student suspended for NRA pro Second Amendment t-shirt, that'll teach you, that'll learn you. Uh, this was actually sent in by another listener who actually said that they wanted my opinion on after they had given me their opinion of this very article. So thank you very much for the t you know, taking the time to do that. And we're going to do it. Aden and I are going to give you our opinions, our collective opinions. And global warming means food water shortages, warns UN report. Oh. It's a lie! Global warming's a scam. No. Food it's shortage. Jesus. <laughs> I got all the food I need in hydrated packs underneath my pillar. Right. I got enough uh, space ice cream bars to last me several thousand <laughs> yes. lifetimes. Yes. Have you ever tried one of those, like, I actually? hate those. I would buy them for my ex because he loved them. I hated those things. It was like eating salty cardboard. And it's the worst sound when it grits on your teeth. Ugh. Like, ugh scrapes. It's so gross. It's chewing chalk. Well, how, it is excellent. How will you tell us what's in store for this here militant eroticism? Oh, well, I'm going to do uh, sexual compatibility. Oh, we're finally going to see if we're going to do it, huh? Oh, wait. Adam, Adam. Is that not what we're... It still counts with chloroform. I don't know how many times it, <laughs> I, I have to tell you this. Nice. <laughs> 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 All right, well, I'm looking forward to that at the tail end of the show here. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into Nine Cents Letters. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. This book was written because with very few exceptions, every tract and paper, every secret guamara, all the great works on the subject of magic are nothing more than sanctimonious fraud, guilt-ridden ramblings and esoteric gibberish by chroniclers of magical lore unable or unwilling to present an objective view of the subject. Writer after writer, in efforts to state the principles of white and black magic, has succeeded instead in clouding the entire issue so badly that the would-be student of sorcery winds up stupidly pushing a plashet over a Ouija board, standing inside a pentagram waiting for a demon to present itself, limply tossing I Ching yellow stalks like so many stale pretzels, shuffling pasteboards to foretell a future which has lost any meaning, attending seminars guaranteed to flatten his ego while doing the same to his wallet, and in general making a blithering fool of himself in the eyes of those who know. Very fucking great for, for beginning of this preface so we were asked to speak to this preface and, and actually asked to read it but I'm not going to read the entire thing I, I don't really like reading all of the essays I'm, I'm hoping that by us discussing part of it you'll get your tokus out there and read it yourself and then uh, that'll force you to do a little bit of study which I think everyone should be doing anyway but what I love about this is right from the get go and I think pretty much anyone 
who didn't have any forward knowledge about the Satanic Bible or Satanism, when they first picked this up, they expected it just to be like all of the other occult gobbledygook out there. And this breaks that notion in half. It just immediately hits you in the head with, with like a wooden stick and says, no, 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 my friend. This <laughs> is real, genuine Satanic thought. If you want that fear-based claptrap, go somewhere else because this is honest, objective discussions of Satanism and magic. And I absolutely fucking love that that is that is the way that you are present. You are welcomed into this because it would be one thing if he never addressed the issue at all and then just started jumping in with the essays that are contained therein and speaking to magic, but by deconstruct it, it's a way of, of, of stripping you back to square one so that you, hopefully if you actually read the preface then you you intentionally just sort of enter the hit the re recycle bin and, and eject all of the thoughts that you already had about satanism as he's deconstructing your your previous knowledge of of, of the understanding of magic and the occult um I really, really dug it. Was there anything that you wanted to touch on in this? No, you hit the nail on the head. It's very dramatic, like, no, no, this is not what that's going to be. This is what it is. And um, it's almost insulting. No, no, it's not even almost. It's insulting the person <laughs> who expected to get that from this book. Um, like, no, dumbass, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I loved it. It was like a... a this is going to sound somewhat silly and teenagerish and kind of rock and roll. It's like a middle finger beckoning you to learn the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how, and there's this uh, one little sentence here near the end where it says, herein you will find truth and fantasy and each is necessary. Uh, it, it just starts you off right on the get-go, right from the gate as it opens, just saying, we are going to recognize ritual for what it is. We are going to recognize the fun that can be had of fantasizing about these truly irrational things like devils. But it's just going to be fantasy. And that's okay because it's an important part about what it means to be a human being. About, about experiencing what it is to be human. And so, you know, at least in my opinion... So many people focus so much on the, the hard atheistic side that almost at times it seems like they're stripping away the fantasy fun layer of what really draws me to Satanism in and of itself. Like, you know, we go into this with our eyes open, recognizing that, you know, ritual is, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's supposed to be ceremony, it's supposed to be pop and circumstance, it's supposed to be dramatic, but that doesn't mean we're actually summoning... <laughs> any of the devils from hell but when you're in that moment there's the fantasy that it doesn't matter and it's so real for the moment that that's is what is important it's 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 convincing yourself that though there may be some under you know some some base of, of of factual understanding in science for the reason why magic works the way it does and there may be some psychological, some significant psychological components to it. We're not going to deconstruct it while we're in there. And we're just going to have fun. And and really, you know, when, when uh, a lot of people are speaking to Satanism and saying, you know, if, if you like the Addams Family TV show, then you probably have a connection to the 
the atmosphere that surrounds Satanism because it's not far off from that. And that's the fantasy part of it. That's the fun part of it. If it was just hard atheist dogma, I would not want to be a part of it in any way at all. Like it's, Yeah, you might as well be an objectivist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. Not a lot of them are a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, and that's really what it comes down and, and certainly the, the way that uh, um, Anton Ave brought it up is that it's it's about fun. It's it's about recognizing who and what we are and having fun with it and allowing that to drive your your existence. I mean, it's a yeah. really fantastic beginning. It's almost like a, the, the preface is almost like a warning before you go into a carnival. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I, you know what? I mean, it's so appropriate. I don't know why I didn't, but I'd never thought of it that way before. Because as soon as you start delving into the Satanic Bible, chapter by chapter, it is really like opening that tent flap and peeking your head in. And then it gets closed because they realize you're underage or, or maybe you didn't buy a ticket or something. And so you have to delve deeper or find different ways. And, and you know, there's more essays written in, in different volumes available of uh, Satanic thought by other Satanists. And the more you read, and it's it's like opening up this grand really this this grand carnival that each tent is dramatically different than the one before it but they're all just enriched with experience and wonder and excitement i don't i don't know if you meant to to go this far as i took it but that was a really wonderful uh, analogy that i never even thought about it actually sounds like a really cool children's book <laughs> <laughs> actually it does that's a really good idea breaking into edit a this circus out. And- Breaking into, yeah, write that, write it. Breaking into a circus, making it comparable to the religion. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. All right. I mean, I don't really have anything else to add about that. I mean, it was, it's a really short, um, preface to the Satanic Bible. First of all, if anyone listening to this doesn't own the Satanic Bible and hasn't read it at least once, I, I really don't know why you're listening to this podcast um, but it's definitely worth, you know, and, and the Stanton Bible is one of those things where you read it once cover to cover and you sort of go back essay to essay and, and sometimes, you you know, for, for old time's sake, you reread the entire book and um, it's just one of those volumes that you continually go back to. And if for no other reason uh, than to read that preface, definitely pick it up again. You know, it's on your shelf for a reason. Pick it up and reread it. Uh, I, I definitely encourage it. And if you don't own it, shill out the couple bucks and buy it, you cheapskate. Seriously, you can get used, tattered copies for like four dollars on Amazon. You can get new ones for eight or nine bucks. It's one of the cheapest books I've ever bought. <laughs> seriously, seriously. If you've ever bought a hardcover, this is nothing. Oh, the hardcover. Oh, I wish I had money just to throw around like that. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's wrap it up there and let's dive into Infernal Informant. All right. What's going on, friends? Uh, in front of the You know the truck. You out now. Alright, this is posted by Fox News. Uh, by Perry Chiramonte. Craziest fucking name ever. Published 13 March 2014. And this, again, was sent in by a listener. Thank you very much, and I really appreciated your uh, take on this. So let me go ahead and give you mine. A high school student on ups- in upstate New York was suspended for wearing an NRA t-shirt that touted the Second Amendment after he refused to turn it inside out or cover the words with duct tape, which is a weird 
weird request by the school. Shane Kinney, a 16-year-old sophomore of Grand Island, located between Niagara Falls and Buffalo, said he served a one-day in-school suspension Monday after he refused last Friday to turn his t-shirt inside out at the request of the vice principal at Grand Island High School. The shirt was emblazoned with the NRA logo and the words Second Amendment shall not be infringed across the back. Mr. Laria, the vice principal, told me I had to either turn the shirt inside out or duct tape over the words, Shane Kenny told FoxNews.com. I told him that I wasn't going to do it. I had to sit in the suspension room and eat lunch alone until my father brought me a new shirt to school. And I bet he was really happy about that. <laughs> Kenny, a card-carrying member of the NRA, along with his parents, said he had worn the shirt to school before, along with others that were similar and had been asked to put duct tape over the writing. He said he complied because he didn't want to make waves. Quote, I would never complain. I just wanted to get through the school year, Kenny said. Officials at the school cited the dress code, which prohibits any clothing that might incite or encourage violent activities what's violent about the nra nothing more than um, a history textbook okay so <laughs> there was pretty much nothing in the policy about guns we spoke to the principal about it shane's father wayne kinney told foxnews.com he added he discovered that he was also a member of the nra we decided that it was best to let the whole thing drop since shane already took his suspension i don't think they would have changed their minds anyway in a copy of the letter sent to kinney home uh, that was provided to foxnews.com grand island high school vice principal michael loria stated on friday march 7 2014 prior to the start of the school shane was seen wearing a sweatshirt with the logo of a firearm. Shane was asked to remove the shirt and turn it inside out or place duct tape over the logo. Shane was also previously asked not to wear the shirt to school. Shane did not listen to the administrator and was later seen wearing a t-shirt a with rifles displayed on the back. The statement continues, Shane's actions are insubordinate, that's probably the biggest part of this, mm -hmm. and in violation of the GICSD code of conduct. Um, on Thursday, school superior intendant Teresa Lawrence released a statement denying that Shane was disciplined for wearing a shirt expressing a position on the NRA or gun control. Although she did not elaborate, she said the incident presented an opportunity to review policy, which is actually a pretty good idea. The Grand Island School District recognizes this matter as an opportunity to review policies, precedences, and actions to ensure that they are consistent with our commitment to provide a safe learning center and protect students' constitutional rights, Lawrence said. Kenny's father maintains that there is actually nothing in the student code that bans clothing with the imagery of guns. While Kenny took his punishment like a good student, he says he's still not happy with how everything went down. I don't agree with it, he said. The NRA does great things, and there was nothing wrong with that shirt. Kenny, who is an avid hunter with a part-time job at a local gun club, said that he believes that he was asked to remove the shirt more for political beliefs than for inappropriateness. I've worn other shirts before with guns on them, he said. It was never asked to cover up. I think this happens because it was an NRA shirt. That's what I'm leaning towards. Alright, and that's sort of the article. So, before I say anything, Aden... Um, I just read the whole fucking article. <laughs> what do you think? I have a few things. Well, at, at my school, in my old high school, yeah, they, they would ask to, uh, if, if someone wore a, a shirt that had an image or a word on it that was considered inappropriate or violated the policy, they'd ask the same thing, either put duct tape on it or um, turn the shirt inside out. And um, I heard the vice principal say things like that before, too. This is a chance to review policy. And then you'd open up the new policy book uh, next year, and it would specifically prohibit that thing. So, <laughs> well, they weren't lying. <laughs> but You're just filling in policy gaps. That's right, policy gaps. I like that. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with wearing a Second Amendment shirt. It's an image of a gun, for God's sakes. I can understand if you brought a toy gun to school. Um, 
Yeah, I can I can get that, but it's a, it's a fucking T-shirt. Come on. It's uh, weird because it, I think all of this stems from the you know these zero zero tolerance policies that a lot of schools come out with where it doesn't matter if it's an overt uh, infringement to the rules, they're not going to tolerate even the suggestion of an infringement of the rules and this, they're going to have super crazy uh, reactions to it. So, you know, for example, people being expelled um, for bringing a toy gun, for example, or, uh, you know, a plastic a water pistol or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I believe zero tolerance is the worst policy ever. At, at what point in reality are you going to be fired from your job for bringing a toy gun? If if the point of school is to ready young adults to the real world, then maybe we should have similar policies instead of you know over the top crazy reactions that you know obviously okay. I don't know about obviously. I imagine that the reaction, uh, the wording in their uh, in their policies of you cannot wear clothing that incites violence, and then them tying the two old school rifles with violence has to do with school shootings uh, over the past two three decades. Otherwise, I can't really see how it's an overt call to violence it's it's an organization built to inform educate and protect the right to bear arms so in and of itself there's nothing vile about the organization you know if if it was genuinely um a like a political thing i mean i didn't the article state that the vice president was a member of the nra as well yeah that was so, so it can't be a political thing no that part i was just like kid come on um but this is fox everything is yeah, I mean, that's hyperbolic. Yeah. It, uh... I mean, I mean, honestly, he, he, my take is this. If if the school policy interpreted by the, the individuals in charge say you cannot wear an NRA t-shirt because of the guns, well, then buy an NRA t-shirt with just the logo, you know, and where the guns are crazy subdued. And it won't be a big issue. I mean, it shows a picture of this kid, um, and on the back, they're just, you know, the guns are literally as, as big as, you know, the upper part of his arm, basically, uh, going across his whole back. So, you know, if it's that, then fine. I don't care. It's the school policy. I don't agree with it, but that's the institution that's in control, and if you're going to be a part of that institution, then you need to follow the rules, no matter how ridiculous. Otherwise, you're just barking at the fucking moon, because there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be funny. Yeah. If he went to school the next day with a state seal on it, because quite a few of them have guns. <laughs> yeah. Does New York have a a gun I, in their seal? You think? I don't know. I don't live in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know Michigan state seal. I think there's a deal or a, a deal. Wow. A deer. I think there's a deer or two on there, and a wolverine and a and a moose sir. <laughs> Uh, something ridiculous. <laughs> nice. A wolverine and a moose. So, you know, I mean, that's really my take. If if you're in an institution and they want to interpret their stupid fucking rules any way they want, you're a student. You have to do that or you get expelled. That's how it works. If you don't like it, go to a different school. Yeah. You don't have to go to this one school, especially in a liberal, a, a more liberal state like New York. There have to be... Um, uh, charter schools or homeschooling or anything. There, there are 
there are alternatives. You are not stuck at this one location. Oh. So if you don't like it, do something about it. But I don't think contacting Fox News to make a big story out of a small story is appropriate because it's not going to solve it. It's not going to change anything. It just makes you look like a douchebag with your fucking photo on this fucking website. No, like, Adam, come this on. Is a, this is a culture war and Fox News is along with Bill O'Reilly is leading the way in this culture war. It's, <laughs> it's you got to protect our guns against the black president. <laughs> I mean, I have to be honest. I'm I I don't mind firearms and I certainly don't mind hunters who actively use their firearms having them. I have no issue with that. And this kid's a hunter, more power to him. I I don't understand why we're not allowed to touch the second amendment, but every other amendment can have alterations to it. Like that's irrational to me. There's already been alterations to the second amendment. I mean, people can't own okay, well, them. further alterations, I guess I should say. People I mean, can't own these really ridiculous huge guns that shoot down helicopters. <laughs> right, right. Whatever those things are called. Unless they're modified in some way or it's a historical reference or something, but Yeah. But yeah, I mean and certainly, you know, there's ways around uh, some of those rules. You know, there's a lot of... I, I know a lot of people who have just illegal weapons because they're collectors, not because they're insane people who are going to kill anyone. And that's they, that's really the bottom line, is the people that promote it, that their ownership, the people that um, champion the Second Amendment, generally are not the ones that are going to be going crazy. Like, they're the... They're the informed ones, <laughs> like, I, when realistically. I, when I would go shooting with the Michigan militia, these men were incredibly strict. With They, they had, like, a father-son weekend thing. And I would go with um, with my friend's dad every now and then. And um, he, uh, they were just incredibly strict with guns and gun control and gun responsibility. Um, these men were fantastic. Uh, they taught me how to shoot a gun, and it was it was hilarious the first time I shot a shotgun. But that was Boy Scouts. <laughs> I was like eleven, handing an eleven year old this massive double barrel shotgun. <laughs> Man, they say witches can't fly. Well, I proved them wrong that day. Let me tell you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it looked like I had AIDS in the shoulder. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> um. I mean, honestly, I would encourage anyone that's, ab you know, abjectly against firearms to take a course and actually fire them and and experience how seriously uh, the majority, by and large, the vast majority of gun owners, how seriously they take it. it, it it's not this flippant, I'm going to go shoot in my backyard and hit my neighbor's cat thing. Um, though in rural areas that actually does happen, <laughs> you know, but seriously though, I mean, the, the majority of people are very honest and open about it. And the, there's a, a fair amount of frustration when it comes to state legislation in some states with the, the hurdles you have to go through just to own a firearm. Oh yeah. But again, I don't think this has anything to do with firearms. I think this has to do with a kid not doing what his vice president said and going out of his way to flaunt it in his face. And you know what? You're starting a fight that is not going to end with a victory. It's just going to end with people shaking their heads. And so, you know, I shake my head. Especially when he's dealing with Joe Biden. Because you keep saying vice president instead of principal. <laughs> I haven't even had a glass of wine yet. I don't, I don't know why I'm doing that. 
It's funny. It's a All right, sorry, Biden. I didn't mean to bring you into this. <laughs> <laughs> it's fear mongering on both sides. The pro gun people are like, they're trying to take your guns. Oh my God, the government is trying to disarm the public. And then the liberals are like, yeah, but look at all these crazy people shooting each other. What are you talking about? Most of the time when people get shot, it's because they were intended to get shot. Someone wanted to kill them. (laughs) And you don't need a gun to do that. Hell, that's the most boring way to kill somebody. (laughs) I I just thought about this. Um, And, and, you know, obviously, I've stated on this show a number of times in the past, but Obama's the best thing that ever happened to firearm uh, economy. Like, he has spurred it, just like Satan spurs the Christian uh, religion. Like, he is, Obama is the Satan to the uh, NRA's Christian religion. Like, all they have to do is bring up his name and ammo sales go through the roof. That that black liberal coming down here to take our guns, we knew we should have lynched all of them when we had the chance. It's crazy, like... (laughs) Here in Utah, it I mean, that's all you have to say is, you know, Obama's planning on restricting ammo sales, and it goes fucking crazy. I mean, it, it's a huge boon for the economy, so I don't really care, even, you know, no matter how much of a lie it is. And then uh, in Wyoming, it's double that. It is insane. We have family in Wyoming, and so it's, it's just crazy how just the fear of... A thought that's made up, but just the fear of it is enough to make them go out and spend money they don't have on ammo and (laughs) weapons. That's great. I mean, New York and New Jersey gun laws are ridiculous. My my best employee, he's this old, um, light-skinned, black biker dude. And old, I mean, like, pushing 60. Um, Wow. Yeah, oh, I adore him. He's like, school of hard knocks. You know, you don't fuck with him. He's a really nice dude, knows his shit. Um, I adore this guy. We go out for drinks sometimes after work. But um, nice. he buys his guns down in one of the Carolinas and keeps them in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, you can't buy guns up here. And he explained to me the castling law in New Jersey. You know, I have to be in the last corner of the last room in my house. And then I have to give them a warning before I shoot them. No, bitch, you break in my house. I'll go into the last room, you know, because I'm going to run. But <laughs> come on, really? Some of these laws are ridiculous. Um, yeah, so, someone told me the New York laws, you have to ask politely. Like, uh, you walk in, someone's raping your wife. You have to, hey, I, can you stop doing that? Stop ra- stop raping my wife? Pardon <laughs> me, sir. She only likes my uh, inadequate penis, uh, if you don't mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I at least try to please her. Yeah, you're nowhere near trying. (laughs) That would be like the worst, worst raper career ever. You try to smooch the, like smooch the woman before you have sex. Hey, baby, I know you don't know me, and I know I'm having this uh, stocking over my head. I don't know. I like criminals and stockings over their heads. I think it's funny. Raising Arizona people, but like you come in there, they have a bottle of wine, some plastic wine glasses. (laughs) We're doing this the right way, bitch. You're going to fuck me. But first, we're going to listen to some Barry Manilow. We're going to have a couple glasses of wine. That would be kind of... Okay, it's not as cool as it was in my brief thought, but... You've seen one too many Special Victim Unit episodes, because there's been serial rapists who do that. Really? (laughs) Yeah, they kidnap the girl, wine and diner, and then force themselves on her. I love love (laughs) Law and Order. I fucking love it. God damn it, I thought I had an original idea. <laughs> there are no more original ideas. What are you talking about? <laughs> Son of a bitch! All right, well, do you want to do this next one? Yeah, sure, I'll do it. 
Global. Okay. Global warming means food, water shortages, warns UN report. Extinctions of animals and plants predicted. <gasps> dun, dun, dun! Surprising! <laughs> That's Shit. never happened in our human history, ever. Shit's gonna die. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> by Thompson Reuters posted March 23rd, 2014 alright global warming will disrupt food supplies, slow world economic growth and may already be causing irreversible damage to nature according to a UN report due this week that will put pressure on governments to act a 29 page draft by the international I'm sorry, intergovernmental panel on climate change, the IPCC <laughs> so how many cc's i can't i can't take this seriously anymore <laughs> <laughs> we'll also outline many ways to adapt to rising temperatures more heat waves floods and rising seas the scientific reasoning for reducing emissions and adapting to climate change is becoming far more compelling um <laughs> you want to try that name <laughs> rajendra pachuri pachuri there you go. Way to butcher it. Chair of the IPCC told Reuters in Beijing. Scientists and more than 100 governments will meet in Japan from March 25th to the 29th to edit and approve the report. It will guide policies in the run-up to a UN summit in Paris in 2015 meant to decide a deal to curb rising greenhouse gas emissions. A 29-page draft projects rise, um, risks such as food and water shortages and extinctions, um, extinctions of animals and plants. Crop yields would range from unchanged to a fall to a fall of up to 2% a decade compared to a world without warming, it says. And some natural systems may face risks of a, abrupt or drastic changes that could mean irreversible shifts such as a runaway melt of Greenland or a drying in the Amazon forest, rainforest. It said that there were early warning signs of Jesus Christ, too many drinks. Warning signs that both coral <laughs> reefs and Arctic systems are already experiencing irreversible regime shifts. <laughs> the Nazis are fleeing. <laughs> <laughs> Russia just took them over. It's cool. <laughs> Corals are at risk in warmer seas, and the Arctic region is thawing fast. Climate change will hit growth. Warming of 2.5. Whoa, sorry. Warming of 2.5 C above pre-industrial levels could mean global aggregate economic losses between 0.2 and 2.0% of income, it says. Almost 200 governments have agreed to limit warming to less than 2 C above pre-industrial times, mainly by curbing emissions from burning fossil fuels. Temperatures have already risen by about 0.8. A wide so range of... Huh? Oh, I was gonna say I don't know. Do you do you want to finish the rest of this? We can. Um, okay. Doesn't matter. It seems to just repeat itself. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That has anything to. So, what do you think, man? Global warming, food shifts of, and I, <laughs> I really love this. I quote: Crop yields would range from unchanged to a follow up to two percent a decade. <laughs> it's huge, Adam. It's huge. They like. This article's so vague. You know, maybe they should release these articles after the report has been published. I'm just saying. <laughs> for the information. Maybe yeah. for the information, yeah. because this article keeps repeating itself, and it's full of vague shit. Or things well, that... What do, you, what do you think about the, the idea of uh, global warming uh, altering food food availability 
And, uh, you know, how, how is that going to genuinely affect this generation and past generations? Well, I don't know. You can't really grow food without the right conditions. At least that was once true. But I remember two years ago, it, um, there was an article that came out and said the benefits of global warming. And it was talking about, you know, producing food that we could, we could plant in new areas. And that means more area (laughs) to plant food for a rising population. I'm thinking about this article like that. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. (laughs) It doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Um, It's just bad. And it's all bad. It's all bad. Yeah, I don't, it's weird because conversations like this, it's, it's like, um, it's like a Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole because then, you know, it, it gets to the point where if we can no longer grow sufficient food to feed the world's population, which if you don't think that that's what's happening right now, you're absolutely insane. I mean, we grow food in America and we don't, we do not keep it in America and, and we actually take a lot of food from a lot of different continents. So it's, it's not just like we're feeding ourselves. So it already, if, and there's not enough food to support the world. And okay, so here's here's a sort of rabbit hole. So then we get into genetically modified food so that it can grow in conditions that are normally it would never be able to grow in or it's resistant to diseases um, or, or regular, you know, lifespan issues of that food so that it can reach a vaster audience of, of consumers. Um, and then you get into uh, the business side of that, which restricts the use of uh, seeds and uh forces people to pay them in order to buy these seeds thereby again reducing the wider net of available food because you have to only use this one certain type of of source and then you start talking about well if if you're restricting the potential of food growth by availability of seeds in in regions and then you're talking about farmers who are trying to take it to a more organic state being sued by these vaster, like larger corporations and thereby sort of completing this horrible cycle of there's not enough food, so you have to use this, but you can't do it any other way except for using this one genetically modified food. But there haven't been substantial studies because it takes decades and decades to, to uh, you know have actionable evidence of the effects on human beings of consuming this genetically modified food. And so, like, are we actually just shooting ourselves in the foot? And so that's why I say it's like this rabbit hole because there's no absolute answers yet. But it, it's sort of, it, it makes my head sort of spin because if climate change is altering the potential to grow food the way that we have right now of up to 2% a decade, um, and the natural shift of our human uh, expansion over this planet over the time of human existence has ebbed and flowed. Are we just making much ado about nothing in the grand scheme of things? The debate with, it seems like the only reasonable debate left about global warming is between the geologists and the climatologists. Geologists claim this is a naturally occurring thing that according to uh, the geologic record, we're, we're overdue for a planet warming. Um, the, the only question that they have is it's rising faster than it should be, but it, it's rising at the appropriate time. Um, that 
And then the climatologists are saying, no, it's all us. It's all us. That the Earth may be warming because we had a nice little ice age, but it shouldn't be warming this much and this quickly. Even though all the timetables that the climatologists have been putting out the past 20 years have been completely inaccurate. Um, but hey, that's science. You know, one failure after another will eventually lead to success. So, <laughs> well, that's the glory of science is that we keep trying. <laughs> that's right. Persistence. We're given that, that good old college try over and over and over again. <laughs> We're always bad in bed, but we get a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I know. I like that. I'm going to have to remember that one. Um, I, I think it's a useless debate. Like um, me and one of my friends go back and forth about this all the time. And we just even though the debate is meaningless because we're both kind of saying the same thing, but we're just too goddamn stubborn and arrogant to admit it. It's my thing is I don't really care if global warming is true or not, because what global warming is addressing is the fact that we're poisoning the soil and the ocean and the food and the food's getting bad and the air is getting nasty. And it's just, we can't survive like this because we won't be able to adapt that quickly unless through technology. But even then, um, it'll just look bad for the species as a whole. And as much as I'm an individualist at the end of the day, you have got to have enough human beings if you want one to survive. Um, what is it, like less than 20,000 means extinction for the species or something like that? Anyway, um, so he's like, no, no, no. It really does matter if global warming is actually happening because we have to – deal with that problem like well let's put it this way if we solve the environmental issues that are um irrefutable like the ocean becoming you know nasty and the freshwater supply dwindling and now there's blue wars over the uh, over the freshwater supply in, um, on the globe uh, then if global warming is true we will fix those problems so it really doesn't matter if it's true or not you just want the objective true so see what I mean? See, I don't. I don't think we'll. I I don't think we'll ever fix, you know, air quotes here, fix problems like global warming or uh, world food shortages. Um, I, I think we are a, a a wildly arrogant species to think that we could. And the best that anyone can ever state at this point is slowing what is inevitable. And so I look, I look at human beings much like what I love about this notion I, I stole. Um, old science fiction novels where human beings are a virus on the planet. And by our very nature, what makes us human beings, we are poisoning the one thing that it takes to give us existence, to give us life. And so, you know, we are this virus that is killing this one thing that created us and is keeping us alive. It's a, a vicious cycle that any species like us, unless we venture out into space, cannot uh, break. Like, we, we, will, we will go extinct eventually unless we start going into space because we can't not poison our planet. Who wants, and, and this, this can be uh, realized by um, going to any farmer's market and looking at the crazy price of organic food compared to uh, Walmart, for example, is the grossest example of it. We're provided with these two options, and then we're forced to make a choice. Well, I can either spend a ton of money and feel good about myself, or not spend a lot of money and forget about the problem by 
falling prey to mass media and entertainment, you know, as, as we've uh, developed it. So that we don't have to really focus on the real world problems. And the fact that our lifespans are so goddamn short that we're not going to see the huge effects on our species in our lifetime anyway. So it's easy for us to say, eh, fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to Walmart. I think, you know? you're, I think you're erecting a false dichotomy. I mean, I eat all organic produce. And I spend less than I ever did at the grocery store. I spend probably 200 a month. And I get tons of shit. But, um, of course, you know, not everybody lives in an area where you can have a co-op or a CSA or anything. But most farmers, all you have to do is drive down there and cut a deal with them. And it will be relatively cheap. Um, that's, uh, that's a stunning notion because, I mean, just, you know, going to um, farmer's markets here, everything is, is crazy expensive. So I don't know. That's why I garden. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because... yeah. I supplement my co-op with my yard. And, and um or the farmer's market down the street. But yeah. I don't know. To me, if you want quality, you're going to have to pay a little bit more for it, um, which is fine. You're paying for the labor. This is But, it, but it's an absolute, like, a, a really important point to, to stress. And we, I think we as a society, especially if you've grown up, you know, in the, in the past fucking 50 years, we're so used to things just being handed to us in our culture, in our American culture, I should say. I mean, obviously, those of us who, who grew up uh, crazy poor are not going to see the world like this. But if you grew up in a median income or, or a higher income, then you feel like food is not a scarcity at all. You can just go to McDonald's and get a 99 cent burger if you're hungry, you know, but but throughout the world that is not the case and so you know it's hard to make the argument when we're thinking of it in our micro um uh, suburb environment but when we're talking about human species on the planet well it is very much impossible to feed everyone and it's impossible to do so in an organically friendly way that's why we started going into the industrial world so that we can create these products faster this can these consumables faster and more efficiently we've gone to gm um uh, genetically modified food because we we can produce more food in order to feed the people that need to be fed so right. you want to you solve know, the world's problems you're going to end up killing everybody that's just how it yeah, happens <laughs> that's my point like that's that's the amazing part about it like we can't help it we're humans we unless we we do what fucking china did and restrict birth rates and control our our life death ratio on this planet and really go crazy with with managing what you can and can't do as a species this and industry and that's the big part then we can't help but destroy our environment and kill ourselves in the process like that is what we were destined to do because that is in our very nature there's, there's it's weird path. because we try to change it because we like the the long-term thought effects of it but that i mean we're destroyers we're human beings what do you want man <laughs> you know i mean I, I can't i don't know it, it's it's depressing to think about but at what point in history have we proven different i'm gonna start calling you ishmael <laughs> oh shit have you ever read that book i i do not know what you're talking about ishmael it's a book by daniel quinn brilliant book it's um, a Socratic book, so the whole book is a conversation. The movie Instinct with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Anthony Hopkins is based on it. Oh, right. I haven't even seen the movie. I'll have, to, I'll have to check the book out. Check out the book and watch the movie. The movie's great, too. Um, anyway, now, the, our species hasn't faced some kind of major catastrophe in a long time. We're, we kind of need one. <laughs> then the population and teach us a nice, good lesson. 
Um, and the fantastic thing is because we're a social and group animal, there's a beautiful mechanism built into us that's been repeated in countless uh, psychological studies. Uh, you put, you, if you put people in two groups, so two tribes, two states, two anything, and they'll fight amongst, they'll fight each other. But as soon as you put a common problem in front of them, they'll band together until that problem is solved. Right. That's why we've survived so long. Hey, it was in every good He-Man movie, <laughs> cartoon as a kid. The two, we were common enemies for now, but tomorrow. <laughs> you watched He-Man? Are you kidding me? I loved He-Man as a kid. I was more of a Star Wars guy, but I mean, G.I. Joe and He-Man when I was a kid, that was it. That's so gay. <laughs> Skeletor was badass. Skeletor Him and Mumra from the Thundercats. And the Thundercats. I, I always connected with Skeletor and Mumra. They were badass. Cobra Commander was okay, but I don't know. He, he should have got more action. I was Mr. Rogers. <laughs> hey, he taught me how to be a good fucking neighbor, okay? <laughs> He taught me to embrace fantasy and to look good in a cardigan. I cannot trust anyone that plays with puppets. There's something shady about it. Uh, let's see. Really? <laughs> really? Have you heard of our high priest obsession with toys? <laughs> and you're going to say you don't trust someone who plays with puppets? <laughs> the man is just creative and special. Okay. <laughs> He's a beautiful soul, Adam. <laughs> Anyway. fucking <laughs> totally digress. Uh, it's this. I, there are there's scientists who say it's it's too late. We can't fix global warming. Don't even try. The next question is how to deal with it, how to slow it, and how to adapt. Adapt or die. It's you know a basic evolution, um, or leave. Leave the planet. Let it fix itself. Because either way you look at it, the this isn't. I love what Carlin says. This whole global warming thing isn't about saving the planet. It's about making the planet permanently okay for our species. Yes, yes, yes. Right, which we can't do. We can't do it without, um, well, fucking it up for everything else. So there's these people who are like, we have to maintain the natural cycle. Oh, you mean the natural cycle that's only existed for our reign on this planet? That one, right? Because we wouldn't <laughs> have been able to survive in the in the conditions when the dinosaurs were around. Okay. <laughs> things change and we either have to adapt in which we'll go extinct because we'll be a completely different thing or we leave I think leaving is easier start something new on, on a different planet and leave the, leave the earth alone for a while let, let, let it limp on without us for a bit we can always come back home <laughs> this is I mean, this is really di changing off into a completely different direction than I, I had imagined but that's what I loved about the reimagining of the Battlestar Galactica series did you ever watch that at all? I, no <laughs> not the original it, but not the new one uh, I, didn't, I didn't dig the original that much but I did watch it from time to time the, the new one I really loved because it, it was very much a, you know this human species that has uh, been so far gone, for, and I'm ruining it for anyone who hasn't seen it, so I hope you don't plan on it. At this point, it's years old, so you, 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 <laughs> tough shit. But, uh, it, you know, it's this species that has left their home of origin for so long that when they finally go back to it, and I'm actually kind of ruining it because that's not the de facto point of it, but I'm I'm sort of intimating that, that when they finally go back to this planet and, and realize what it means to be human beings, that, you know, it, they... It, if you are removed from the context of your planet, you are no longer the species that was created to exist on said planet. 
you are something dramatically different. And uh, you go to a, some some new place, and you are you even human anymore? I mean, there, there's this genuine question of is what is is being human our our nature or is it our traditions? And um, oh, god damn it. <laughs> it's just a really great conversation, and it's probably not one that we have time for in this context but of the show, but it is something that I would like to speak to at some point with you. Yeah, because I'm going to debate your being human has something to do with living on the earth. What utter horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> I will debate your ass. Oh, I mean oh. nature. I don't mean, I don't mean mother nature. I mean nature, but um, yeah, it'll, it'll be something fun to talk about. Yeah. All right. Um, not, okay. Well, <laughs> how about we? Uh, how about we do a little more eroticism? Mm-hmm. Ah. Lusters, the top hated and the low-browed, with the scarlet passion and valid gospel, I say to you, thou in sick style will moat altars, be not of love, but of lust, and to one of bellies full, ears of bellies full, expand your genital rebellion to vindicate the shrew, let thy brothel be revelation, then thy moans are divine wisdom. Salvation in the whole's religion. Our dogma is their kink. With legs spread, with flesh mounted, we point out to our accusers a slut alone is no slut at all. This I say to you, my fellow eroticists, my hands on borders. It doesn't matter who bends over. In the end, we are all degraded. Welcome to Militant Eroticism. I am Aden Arden, and this is episode 10 on sexual compatibility. Um, this was originally meant to follow value compatibility, but it's about, uh, about the same length as it, so I figured I'd hold it off for now, uh, until now. And now, because I've done a few short episodes, it's time to exhaust your ears once again. I've long held that lust leads to love that sexual desire or sexual attraction is the basis for any healthy relationship. Mutual sexual attraction leads to a date or a one-night stand in which one of the most important judgments made should be sexual compatibility. I find that in cases of adultery, the reasons given are often sexual or emotional desires going unfulfilled. As it pertains to an affair versus a one-night stand that revolves around another relationship, what poly or open relationships would refer to as emotional uh, infidelity. So I'm using an affair versus uh, one night of cheating. It is most often, the affair is most often caused by a lack of an emotional connection and communication. Infidelity, not involving a second relationship, just out and out cheating, the one night stand, uh, generally seems to come from two things, not being honest with oneself about what they want and not being honest with one's partner about what you want. In this specific case, blame can be placed on that of the adulterer. In the other, the affair mentioned, blame can be debated. 
The reason I'm going on about affairs of various sorts is to illustrate the common outcomes of pursuing a relationship outside of judging rationally the compatibility of what you want and the object of your eyes desires. Love is not blind, and though many know this, very few want to admit to it. If one considers for just a few minutes the idea of telling your lover, baby, your looks mean nothing to me. This is actually pretty fucking insulting. Feel, <laughs> feeling attractive is important to us. Knowing that you are found attractive by the person you're seeking or in the midst of a relationship with. How often have you gone after the guy or the gal you're not attracted to at all? How often have you engaged in conversation with someone who isn't physically appealing to you? I assert that we are even physically attracted to some of our friends, or most of our friends, to an extent. Notice how the most attractive people run in groups. I've listened to ladies whine on and on about how they don't think their man is attracted to them anymore, or how they don't feel attractive. I've also heard men say similar statements, or that their love interest isn't, is letting their looks go, and that they feel guilty for not wanting to fuck them anymore. Some would challenge my previous statements on attractiveness being important by claiming that, well, that's just what we have to do, but it isn't right. People should fall for inner beauty. Oh, I agree that love revolves around common interests and value compatibility, which is what I think they mean when they say inner beauty. But the fact that they said it, it's, it's, the fact that they said it's what they have to do to find love is exactly my point. You must do it in order to attract someone, and they're going to do the exact same thing. If you really do believe that looks shouldn't mean a thing, then I suggest finding someone who does not appeal to you physically in any way, shape, or form. But not only that, you can't judge them for their looks at all, not even an inch of them whatsoever. Which kind of means sexuality should go out the window, because hey, if you like pussy, you like tight hairless pussy you should find the biggest hairiest cock you should find because you don't like it and looks don't mean anything so i suggest starting with the person you find the most wretched looking but who has a great sense of humor and complete value compatibility to make sure they fit your idea of good i challenge the statement looks don't mean anything mostly based on that you cannot see inner beauty and if that were true it would still be lust because you find it attractive Sexual attraction can lead to love. And not only that, but it's the first step. This is quite similar to Rand's idea of, you know, you sacrifice everything, or, or um, love is altruism. Well, okay, then give everything you own, including your wife, to someone who doesn't have anything, and be happy about it. And make sure they're the most wretched person in town, and the poorest, because then you really help someone. The first few dates, no matter the romantic fantasies, are simply a ritualized interview where people put on their best faced or brutally honest. I do the latter. This is why I'm still single. A combination <laughs> of both is best, though. <laughs> and you think I know that by now. <laughs> the brutally honest ones usually scare the other off. It's a bit like telling a stranger about your case of hemorrhoids. Just not good tact. But honesty is an important thing as it pertains to intention. If all you want out of the other is a good romp in the sack, then lie away. I give you my full blessing. Lie to them up and down until you get in there and make a mess. Now, if on the other hand, you want to see if the pursuit of something deeper than that is possible, then honesty of intention is best. The intent is really what divides the game plan. But feeling out one's sexual interest should be high on the list of probabilities. 
You don't want to end up with someone who cannot sexually satisfy you or vice versa. And there are ways to find out about your compatibility level. The most common way is by actually doing it and putting in the time to get in there, which is why I advocate long casual dating before any form of commitment is made. When your intent is to hook up, honest of what you want and health are really the only two compatibility areas that are most important. Above all, the honesty of intent should be to yourself. Know where you stand, know what you want, and never deviate from it. Most people are not willing to openly discuss what they want sexually unless there is a level of comfort. Whether or not that is silly is irrelevant. It's the way it is. Even if you and the other are one of those people who can speak openly about what they like, don't like, will not do, and might try, there is always something you say for those who reach that level of complete trust. Sex before commitment is important because you don't want to set yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> don't avoid your bed. Lie in it. <laughs> when it comes to emotional and physical investments, it's best to be as sure as you rationally can. But it's important to note that a lot of people are nervous the first time they sleep with someone new and attempt to keep it as freak-free as possible. I don't know stipulations have been made earlier, like meeting at a fetish club or website or expressly stating it during a conversation. I usually go with the rule of three. Three dates to attempt a round picture, unless the first date is so fucking awful that you have to call your best friend and get you out of there. Or make sure your best friend goes to the restaurant and you meet him at a bar and like, hey man, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Three attempts at sex, and I personally go as far as three chances of potential forgiveness for infidelity. When a relationship is solidified by laying out the rules of the arrangement, uh, I'm sorry, arrangement, it's best to reassess the compatibility. People change and grow in new directions, even and I think especially sexual ones. If you're uncomfortable with the new things your lover wants to do and are, and are unwilling to compromise, then there are only three things left to do. Change the rules of the uh, relationship to allow their sexual satisfaction, call it quits, or both of you find a way for them to satisfy themselves. I'll use myself as an example. When I was in a monogamous relationship, the man I was with had no interest in bottoming for me, meaning taking my dick, which for most of the year was never a problem. But I have my times when I have absolutely no interest in taking any dick, and I only want to bless other people with my 2.25. <laughs> but we figured out that if he threw his legs over my shoulders and we lubed up his hands, placing them in front of his ass without letting me penetrate it, though I don't understand how no one could take 2.25, the illusion was enough to drive me to <laughs> the illusion. <laughs> The illusion was enough to drive me to climax and get that desire out of my system. Some could say that I deserved the chance to talk, but I made a choice because he and my relationship with him were more important than a few days in an intense need to insert myself. The only true test of compatibility, though, is time, and that is where the annual reassessment of compatibility must come into play. I stress my opinion that relationships must be built on rational rules that govern the arrangement and that the relationship itself is only entered into based on desire. Lust leads to love. And with that said, I can assume that we all know that people either grow together or grow apart in a vague kind of way. People may develop new interests, but as long as there's still a large enough common ground to enjoy doing things together, it isn't a problem. It is imperative each individual in the relationship reassesses the compatibility of however many people are in the relationship. Do your values still mesh? Are you still attracted to your lover or lovers? Is the sex still stimulating and engaging? Are you still able to have the future you want with this person or those people? 
These are necessary to ask yourself and to answer for yourself rationally and honestly. We all get comfortable with routine. Problem is that the current familiarity and routine may not be what we actually want. We're just comfortable. The truest test of compatibility is time, which is why regular reassessment is so crucial. Take a day to yourself once a year and sit down like, do I still love my wife? Do I still love my husband? Do they still get my rocks off? Do my toes still curl? Do I still want to um, be in a poly relationship? Do I still want an open relationship? Do I still want to be married? You got to think about these things every now and then at the very least, you know. Those who work for their desires and obtain them have earned them. So work for what you want and abandon that which you don't. Usually during the honeymoon phase, people fall for each other based on lust and superficial compatibility, idealistic notions. We find ourselves infatuated with the idea of a person instead of taking a critical and incredibly judgmental view of the person we are about to consecrate our loyalty with. Taking someone as a lover is attesting to the world that this person is your equal. It's a powerful statement that must be dealt with seriously. Casual dating is one thing, but relationship hopping is another. We are ultimately not psychics, and we do not always know if we made the right decision forever, which is why regular assessment, again, is important, and risk management. Something we can compromise on, but the base value in our sexual quirks, we should never. Compromise is a form of risk management, and I, should, and I feel it should be based on the following question. What is it? that they are offering me by their very nature that I want more than what they are asking me to not do or give up. Risk management is just as it sounds, managing the risk of a disappointment or harm. Though we cannot control everything and we cannot predict who, who we will be in 10 years, with critically looking at what we want and taking this person and what this person wants regularly, we can know with, when the arrangement is no longer mutually beneficial and ending the agreement without a long-winded, dramatic and emotional end. Simply put, one should mesh naturally with the other and attempt to lower the risk of disappointment as much as possible. Relationships are an investment, so invest wisely. Now, how does this all tie in with sexual compatibility? It ties in with, uh, ties in with specifically the assessment and the dictum of lust leading to love. The statement insinuates an assessment, a crucial assessment because it is the very first one. Human companionship should be based on satisfaction, and though some may feel sex is a brutish, base, nasty, animal desire, it is one we must deal with and is extremely important to the health of any relationship. Our libidos are a force to be reckoned with, and if left unsatisfied, will compel the flesh it inhabits to quench its thirst. So, keep your skirts up, your pants down, and just kind of get dirty. <laughs> get dirty nice good job man um, this really reminds this 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 entire um episode i, w I was uh i was in arizona going to college uh, after my military career and career experience i should say and i was in a, a scottish organization um I'm, I'm, my last name is Campbell, obviously, and so I, I was uh, having a lot of fun with the Clan and Campbell Society in North America, and they have a lot of uh, aged membership. And so I was in a pub with a bunch of really old people, <laughs> and at this time I was younger, you know, this was like a decade ago, and so I was I was sitting down there um, full of uh, cum and spit, <laughs> just at the top of my sexual game, really, uh -huh. and uh, having a, a probably one too many beers and one too many whiskeys. And I looked up at all these really old people, and 
at that point in my relationship, we were going through sort of uh, issues, we'll say. And, and I'll <laughs> leave it at that. And so I, I looked at these people. I was like, can I ask you all something? Is, is sex important to you? Is, is getting what you want out of a sexual experience with your partner worth the marriage? And they all kind of looked at me like I was an alien or just like this bug that was like chirping. Like they didn't fully understand what I was saying. <laughs> and one of them was like, we don't, we don't really have sex anymore. It's not, it's not what, it's not what it's, you know, it's not what we do. We watch a lot of TV <laughs> and I wanted to fucking cry at that very moment. I was like, that, I, this can't. No fucking way is no, this like the me. natural result of a relationship. Like not it was the me. exact opposite of what I wanted to hear. I wanted them to say something like, oh, it gets freaky, son. You just sit, hang in there. But no, it was the opposite. I was so goddamn depressed. And like, early on in early, early on in my relationship with my wife, uh, you know, there was a couple rules that we brought forth and I've been called an asshole by every single person I've ever told this that I'm the biggest asshole in the world but I said um if you ever look like your mom we are getting to divorce <laughs> meaning wait and uh we need to be active sexually or else why the fuck are we in a relationship and I always assumed that this was a normal common way of thinking like a relationship it's not entirely based around sex, but it is a, a pretty big, hefty part of it, especially a marriage. Like, if you're going to tie yourself to one person, you got to be able to get it in. Yeah, like, listen, if you're dumb enough to fuck the one person, <laughs> I should, probably shouldn't say that. Anyway, okay, if you're the type of person <laughs> to nice. stay with one sexual partner, you better use that shit up. Until it's in the ground and rotting, <laughs> because that's the only one you're gonna get. <laughs> yeah, and that's like even more to the point. Like, if this is it, if this is the last cereal you're going to have in the morning, you better have it every way possible. This is the last so, you know, that... coaster. Ride the shit out of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I take my Wheaties upside down. <laughs> I stick my head in the bowl and I eat it. So you know, Ew. I mean. <laughs> That's so nasty. Oh God. Oh well. Okay. Let me let me just say this out of uh, not so out of context. There is something kind of wonderful about being able to smell a woman on your facial hair. <laughs> you know what? You and many other of my friends who have goatees and mustaches and facial hair, you all say the same thing to me. And they're like, come on, Adine, when you get cum in your facial hair, doesn't it, don't, don't you just love it? I'm like, no! Oh, God! <laughs> That's I like that! It's disgusting! I had someone's baby swimming around in my face, Joe! It's nasty! Oh, God! It's so gross! It stinks and... Then you gotta stand it. It's like getting in your chest, and then you gotta weep. <laughs> oh. oh God! It's like if you get hair, if you have hair on your ass, then it's really uncomfortable. Uh, well, I think it's fair to state. <laughs> I like, I like, I like the smell of balls on my face. I, I'll, I'll just, <laughs> I don't understand. So you know, well, I don't understand you guys. You guys are just not. But you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just musk. You know, it's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, <laughs> I would have to say that, that, um, uh, 
pussy cum is much more akin to ball musk than it is to dick <laughs> cum. Like, it is significantly different. <laughs> How would you know, Adam? Oh, I mean, uh, I, don't, I, heard you. Yeah. I, I thought you no. said it was closer to ball musk. I'm like, yeah, but your face, can, <laughs> are you able to put your head directly under your nuts? Or are you just head <laughs> Oh man! All right, <laughs> I'm not gonna go any deeper than this. That's what she said. <laughs> I can't take it. Uh, no, I mean it's, it's. I always assumed that that was how people saw relationships. Like, like you're stating, like you need to set boundaries and you need to have agreements. But in my experience, that is very much not the case. Like people just they sort of just roll the dice and hope it works out yeah they have all these silly romantic thoughts in their head and nothing is less romantic than a relationship i don't understand it but i this this is that is insanely true i know right isn't that sad nothing is less romantic than a relationship like (laughs) it's the opposite of what we're told in every single movie they're the herd. They buy and book. these romantic <laughs> and book exactly. They're the herd. They have this Paris, um, Sex in the City, romantic comedy chick flick bullshit in their head. And I'm like, how how often have you dated? Like really? <laughs> has yeah, it really? ever seemed like a Cameron Diaz movie to you? No. <laughs> you usually get sick, fat, unsatisfied. And then you're scared shitless when you leave it because you think you're going to get old, fat, and nasty, and no one's going to want to take care of you except someone you pay, <laughs> which is, you know, hire a hooker if that's the case. <laughs> or just get rich and get sugar uh, or get gold diggers. Gold diggers will take care of you one way or yeah. another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I, I think... I have to say that these these segments that you produce, I think, are incredibly valuable, and I think they cross sexual borders, and I think intentionally you do that, but I think it's wildly successful, and I, I wish more people would take essays like this, segments like this, to heart, because, you know, we, we are a, 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 a really retarded species, and if you don't think which seems obvious that you would, but most people don't. If you don't think, then you end up with some really horrible fucking places in life. And all it takes is a little bit of honesty and uh, second guessing up front to avoid. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you, Aden, for, for doing stuff like this, uh, writing stuff like this and performing stuff like this. I, I think it's incredibly valuable, and I, I really genuinely enjoy this segment. It is uh, it, it is so dramatically different than anything else on Nine Cents, and I think uh, not only for that point, but also because of the content that you're bringing out, it is so goddamn valuable to everyone. So thank you for that, man. No, thank you. If I didn't talk about this here, my friends would have killed me. <laughs> I'd be dead already. All right. Well, that is going to do it, everyone. Uh, before we uh, close out the show, where can people find you online? Oh, just um, type in Milton Roddicism. Also linked uh, to the Nine Cents Facebook page. All right. Check out the website. Email him or message him on the Milton Roddicism page. Let him know what you think. Uh, you know, tell him tell him how he's doing. Yeah. Tell him, tell him thank you. That's all. <laughs> I have my I have my personal email listed on that Facebook. 
Well, not my personal uh, one, but you got it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go for it, people. All right, that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. And we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Plus, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. I have just recently started some advertising uh, on uh, different channels. So for those of you who are new or tuning in for the first time, we do encourage interaction. So you're going to be getting this for free and you're going to be consuming it for free and you're going to be given some wonderful tidbits of thought and humor and entertainment, hopefully. Uh, Give it back by way of sharing nine cents. Tell other people, tell your friends, uh, (laughs) tell... uh, (laughs) This is going to be obscure for TYT fans. Uh, tell Randy Gonzalez we're coming. Uh, download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last FM, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. So look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents. And don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. The bottom line here, people, this entire podcast is about Satanism and a Satanic perspective. And of course, the only place of authority on Satanism is the Church of Satan, and you can learn more about the Church of Satan by visiting churchofsatan.com. Once again, thank you for joining us, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Aden Arden. And until next week, hail Satan! Hail Satan! Bye. Uh-huh.